Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. We have to open our country. We're not going to have a country. We can't keep this country closed. We ought to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. I don't look at this in terms of the way he does. Blue states and red states. They're all the United States. And look at the states that are having such a spike in the coronavirus. They're the red states. But they're all Americans. They're all American. He says that, you know, we're learning to live with it. People are learning to die with it. It will go away. And as I say, we're rounding the turn. We're rounding the corner. It's going away. Bill that was passed in the House was a big bailout for badly run Democrat cities and states. All right, I want to. If I get elected, I'm not going to. I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I'm going to be an American president. I don't see red states and blue states. What I see is American, United States. There's an idea. Thanks, Joe. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, here with special coverage today for your listening pleasure. But we must start here. The United States set a new daily record for confirmed coronavirus infections on Thursday, as the numbers soared past 77,000, topping the previous high set back in July, according to NBC News on Friday. The benchmark was hit as the pandemic has accelerated at a pace not seen since the summer, and as many local governments have reimposed restrictions to try and slow the spread of of a virus that has killed about a quarter of a million Americans over just the past nine months. By midnight on Thursday, 77,640 new coronavirus cases were on the books for Thursday. That is up from the previous record, the uh, daily case number of 75,723 set on July 29. And the death toll had risen by 921 people. 
The U.S. still leads the world now with 8.5 million confirmed cases of COVID-19. And this week, Dr. Jay Butler, Deputy Director for Infectious Diseases at the CDC, reported what he called a, quote, distressing trend in which coronavirus case numbers are now, quote, increasing in nearly 75 percent of the country with new figures released today revealing that hospitalizations are now increasing in at least 38 of the 50 states over the past week. In the U.S., much of the increase in new cases has been driven by surges in Midwestern states like Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio, Wisconsin, North and South Dakota. The situation in Idaho is now so dire that local health officials are considering sending new coronavirus patients to neighboring Washington State and Oregon because they are running out of hospital beds. In related news, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, during his final debate with Joe Biden this season on Thursday night, declared yet again that the pandemic, quote, will soon be gone and that we have rounded the turn. In similarly related news, CNN's great fact-checker Daniel Dale tweeted after that debate, quote, Biden was again imperfect from a fact-check perspective. He made at least a few false, misleading, or lacking-in-context claims. Trump, however, was, as usual, a serial liar. From a lying perspective, Dale said, Trump is even worse tonight than in the first debate. That's what he tweeted before describing it this way on air. President Trump was better behaved tonight, but he lied more. This was just a bombardment of dishonesty, much of which we've heard before. For a fact checker, you're kind of sitting there with Biden. Occasionally you're like, oh, that's wrong. With Trump, you're like that I Love Lucy episode in the chocolate factory. You know, you don't know uh, which one to pick up because there's just so much. <laughs> so after uh, Trump skipped the second debate because he refused to debate in, the, in separate studios after becoming infected with the coronavirus, he and Biden both showed up for the final presidential debate held at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Just 12 days before Election Day, as a record 50 million voters have already cast their vote in the most critical elections in our nation's history, arguably. The president was much better behaved in this debate, aided no doubt by new rules by the Commission on Presidential Debates, which included muting the candidates' microphones during the initial two-minute responses to each of the questions from moderator Christian Welker of NPC News, who has received, deservedly in my opinion, rave reviews for her work following a week of being disparaged by Trump, uh, who was trying to work the refs in advance of the forum, which led off, not surprisingly, with discussion of the issue that polls show to be by far at the top of mind for most Americans. That would be the worsening coronavirus pandemic. As Trump continued his repeatedly false claims that the covid crisis will be over soon, earning a response from Biden that will probably be remembered, most remembered, uh, of all his responses from Thursday night's debate. There's not another serious scientist in the world who thinks it's going to be over soon. I say over soon. I say we're learning to live with it. We have no choice. We can't lock ourselves up in a basement like Joe does. He has this thing about living in a basement. People can't do that. 99.9% of young people recover. 99% of people recover. We have to recover. We can't close up our nation. We have to open our school. And we can't close up our nation or you're not going to have a nation. 
he says that we're, uh, you know, we're learning to live with it. People are learning to die with it. You folks home will have an empty chair at the kitchen table this morning. We're dying with it. You tell the people it's dangerous now, what should they do about the danger? And you say, I take no responsibility. Excuse me, I take, full, I take full responsibility. It's not my fault that it came here, it's China's fault. When we knew it was coming, when it hit, what happened? What did the president say? He said, don't worry, it's going to go away. Be gone by Easter, don't worry, the warm weather, don't worry, maybe inject bleach. He said he was kidding when he said that, but a lot of people thought it was serious. Even today, he thinks we are in control. We're about to lose 200,000 more people. I was kidding on that, but just to finish this, when I closed, he said I shouldn't have closed. No, he wasn't kidding on that. The two candidates delivered starkly divergent closing arguments to the country in their final presidential debate, as the New York Times described it, offering opposite prognoses for the coronavirus pandemic and airing irreconcilable differences on subjects from rescuing the economy and bolstering the health care system to fighting climate change and reshaping the uh, immigration policy for the nation. Despite the more subdued face-off as compared to their first outing, uh, though a 30-car pileup on the freeway might have been more subdued by comparison to that, Trump managed to harangue Biden for most of an hour and a half and effectively short-circuited any real policy debate in the bargain. Trump, who badgered Biden with increasing aggression throughout the course of the debate, appeared determined to cast his opponent as a career politician who was, as he jabbed toward the end of the debate, all talk and no action. And the president used the event as his most prominent platform yet for airing unsubstantiated or baseless attacks completely about the finances of Joe Biden and members of his family. But uh, he did very little to lay out an affirmative case for his own reelection or to explain in clear terms what he would hope to do with another four years in the White House. He often misrepresented the facts about his own record and Biden's and on his most important political vulnerability, his mismanagement of the pandemic. Trump hewed unswervingly to a message that happy days are nearly here again even as polls show that a majority of voters believe the worst of the crisis is still ahead. For his part, Joe Biden stuck to the core of the argument that uh, has propelled his campaign from the start, denouncing Trump as a divisive and unethical leader who has botched the federal response to the public health crisis. Though Trump pushed him into one of uh, on, onto the uh, defensive repeatedly, uh, the former vice president also laid out his own fuller ver version of his own policy agenda that he managed uh, than he managed in the first debate, because in this debate, he was actually allowed to complete a sentence. He called for large scale economic stimulus spending, new aid to states battling the pandemic and an expansion of health care and worker benefits nationwide. Significantly. As the Times notes, Biden made no serious error of the sort that could haunt him in the final days of a race in which he is believed to be leading. AP described Trump as having pitched himself to voters as the same disruptive candidate that they, that, that they elected to the White House four years ago, while Biden offered himself as a more sober leader fit for a nation in crisis. Both campaigns 
They write, predictably claimed a boost from the televised showdown that drew an audience of tens of millions. But with nearly 50 million ballots already cast, it remains unclear how much the face-off will actually alter the course of the campaign. For what it's worth, which may or may not be much, if the final presidential debate uh, was Donald Trump's last best chance to reshape the race in his favor, the post-debate instant reaction polls suggest he did not get what he needed at least according to the polls of those who watched the debate, which may or may not be a representative sample of the electorate as a whole, CNN's instant poll uh, found that 53% of those who watched the debate thought Biden won it, compared to just 39% for Trump. Other snap polls showed almost identical figures, though the figures were also nearly identical to the opinions of those same viewers before watching Thursday night's debate. Facing off with us now to try and figure out what, if anything, all of this means going forward is our special post-debate panel, including, as always, our own bleary-eyed, even more confused than me, Desiree Doyen. <laughs> uh, good news, Desi. No more debates for you to have to slog through and make reasonably coherent clips from this year. Yes, so at least there's that. There's that. Also willfully, willfully joining us today, another regular veteran of our uh, 2020 debate nightmare shows, Richard R.J. Escow is a longtime freelance writer, political columnist, policy analyst, and host and managing editor of the weekly radio and TV program, The Zero Hour. He is also a former, I think, reformed health care insurance executive, which may come in handy here today. And he served as a senior writer and editor for Bernie Sanders back during his 2016 presidential campaign. That, too, may come in handy as well. Welcome back to the broadcast, Mr. Escow. Good to be back. Last but never least, uh, we are honored with the presence of our longtime reigning post-debate and common-sense champion <laughs> in our post-common-sense world. That would be Heather Digby-Parton, the longtime progressive blogger known simply as Digby, proprietor of the Hullabaloo blog and a regular award-winning contributor at Salon.com. Welcome back to the broadcast, Heather. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for being had. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you uh, I, I saw, by the way, uh, Heather, Stephen Colbert last night, but uh, since you were here with us on the show on the day that Donald Trump came down the escalator in June of 2015 to announce his uh, campaign before a bunch of actually paid actors back then posing as supporters. Uh, I don't actually remember the joke exactly, uh, but Colbert played the escalator footage backwards last night with <laughs> Trump and Melania ascending back up. I found it wildly satisfying for reasons that I don't really understand. That is beautiful. And, you know, I mean, I'm not ready to actually sign on to that yet. I'm, uh -huh. you know, keeping my fingers crossed uh -huh. for God knows how long. But, uh, you know, just we all deserve those few moments of, <laughs> you know, of seeing the possibility of See, nothing else. There you go. We'll take what we can get at this point. And now, as usual here, guys, I want to start broad with... Uh, uh, before we get into some of the specifics uh, where they are worth getting into, uh, and since we've spent a year really complaining about many of the debate moderators this year, 
I want to start with NBC's Kristen Welker, who I thought was fantastic. And not just because, you know, she was aided by a mute button on Trump's microphone and, and kept order to the debate, but because I thought she asked actual questions that did not feel to me like they began with a right wing framing for every issue, as we so often see in these debates. In fact, I think that she was so good. I nominate her as permanent presidential debate moderator for all such debates from here on out through eternity. And because I'm told that radio is much better when people bicker and disagree, please tell me why I am wrong, Richard Esco. You, I do think you're wrong. Okay. And uh, I'll tell you why. Yes. First of all, we have to note that there are two categories of moderator. Mm -hmm. There are moderators for debates, mm -hmm. and then there are moderators for debates where Donald Trump is present. And it's a completely different skill set. <laughs> unlike you and unlike a lot of the commentary I've been hearing since the debate, mm -hmm. I thought that this was debate was awful. That the fact that it wasn't quite as awful as the debate before it, mm -hmm. uh, I feel as if people are just, uh, you know, overreacting to the mildly uh, less awfulness of it, rather <laughs> okay. than judging it on a normal scale. And I think that I do agree with you that she had better questions other than the one about the minimum wage, which struck me as, uh, you know, conventional wisdom uh, poking up its ugly head again. But there were no, you know, Martha Raddatz, questions about everybody knows social security is broke or what have you mm -hmm. so in that sense i do agree with you but i don't think despite the mute button that uh trump was kept under control he was awful he didn't answer the questions she didn't rein him in most of the time if there's a the purpose of a mute button is to use it, it there were a lot of times I was, it should have been used and wasn't and as a result, uh, I found watching this debate to be uh, an excruciating experience a lot of the time. To, to be clear, uh, I didn't say that Donald Trump was good. I said uh, Kristen Welker I thought was good. But Heather Digby-Parton, uh, please tell Richard Esco why he is wrong. <laughs> well, I don't disagree with him that it was a terrible debate and that the bar is just so incredibly low that yeah. everybody just kind of went, wow, you know, I mean, Donald Trump didn't rip his clothes off and run around the, the <laughs> stage screaming, so, wow, that was really terrific, and, yeah, I don't really have an opinion on Welker, I, you know, everybody really thought she was terrific, as you did, Brad, obviously, and mm -hmm. I just thought she was, you know, what a normal moderator is in, in television, and I'll tell you what my big problem with this debate was, and it's the problem I have with all the debates. Mm -hmm. When you have a lot of people on stage, I get it. You know, you kind of go click one, two, three, four. You hit a number of topics, you know, like in the primary debates. In these one-on-one -on -one debates, I would like to see them do subjects instead of doing, you know, just hitting very quickly on, you know, a massive subject like climate change. And, mm -hmm. yes, Desi, we <laughs> did get to have another climate change question. Yes, so, you know, did. things so are that. starting to look up in that regard. But, I mean, wouldn't it be great to have 90 minutes on, you know, the pandemic or 90 minutes mm -hmm. on real foreign policy, Middle East policy, mm -hmm. for instance, or 90 minutes on, on climate change instead of this sort of, it, it's like we get this weird Twitter version of mm -hmm. politics yeah. right. with these right. kinds of debates. And, you know, for people like us, you know, we know all this 
I shouldn't say we know. I mean, I sound like I'm being really conceited. But, you know, we're political junkies, and we follow this stuff closely. So we may know most of what these two are going to say, and we're just kind of looking for whatever theatrics might happen. Or, car crashes. Or, yeah, or the car crash. But for a lot of people, this is it for them. This is the only thing they see about politics. And I would really like to see it go a little deeper. And with someone like Donald Trump, that could make a huge difference. I mean, for me, just like Richard, I, th- I thought it was absolutely awful, and, and I wrote in my piece for Salon this morning, the reason for that is that, you know, there wasn't a circus like there was in the first one, so we weren't all just sitting there gasping for breath and going, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> this is the worst thing in the world. But the subject matter, I mean, what, what people actually heard from him, if they were listening, was, was even worse than his right. poor behavior, because he clearly isn't still in over his head after all this time. He has no idea about the substance of anything. So I just wish that the debates, you know, regardless of Trump and his behavior, that they would come up with a way to spend some serious time with the American people on, you know, just maybe one or two issues instead of doing this quick thing. So that's my critique, you know, for what it's worth. <laughs> Desi Doyen, tell yeah. her why she's wrong. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say she's wrong. I would just add on to the fact that I think Kristen Welker did a great job with what she was given, you know, with the, the low bar that we have to judge this debate on. And um, I just have to point out that she asked an actual environmental justice question probably the first time, I think definitely the first time an environmental justice question has ever been asked in a general presidential election debate. That's big. That's and Trump had no idea what she was talking he about. I mean, know. it went just so far over. And, and Biden actually did, which I thought was, I thought that one would go over his head too, frankly, but no, it didn't. No, Biden actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. as a matter of fact, here, well, let's play a quick clip from that, since we may not get to it later in the show. Uh, this was, uh, well, I think both of their responses a little bit to, uh, to the question about environmental justice. In Texas, there are families who worry the plants near them are making them sick. Your administration has rolled back regulations on these kinds of facilities. Why should these families give you another four years in office? Uh, the families that we're talking about are employed heavily and they're making a lot of money, more money than they've ever made. Those people live on what they call fence lines. He doesn't understand this. The fact is, those frontline communities, it doesn't matter what you're paying them. It matters how you keep them safe. <laughs> I love the way he condescendingly said, he doesn't understand this. I, I know. <laughs> and it's also insane. I mean, really insane that Trump claiming that the people who have to live next to these polluting industrial <laughs> facilities are okay because they're getting jobs. They're getting paid. It's all right if you give them cancer and you kill their children. They're getting paid, <laughs> which is, of course, not true. Let me uh, get to a couple of points here uh, that I have uh, sort of uh, two things that I want uh, each of you to help me understand with your expertise in these matters. Uh, so we can sort of get them both out of the way. Heather, let me start with you, uh, since you seem to enjoy these, uh, well, regular trips down into the Fox News rabbit holes of right-wing disinformation. Uh, there was a whole lot of stuff that Trump kept trying to get in there regarding Hunter Biden and his laptop and money paid supposedly to the Bidens by China and or Ukraine. Uh, the Fox News fans probably understood what what he was talking about, but everyone else was probably wondering what the hell he was talking about. Here is uh, one of those confrontations, um, how they worked out. And uh, well, then I'm going to get your explanation. All of the emails, the emails, the horrible emails of the kind of money that you were raking in, you and your family. 
And Joe, you were vice president when some of this was happening. I have not taken a penny from any foreign source ever in my life. We learned that this president paid 50 times the tax in China, has a secret bank account with China, does business in China. I have released all of my tax returns, 22 years. Go look at them. 22 years of my tax return. You have not released a single solitary year of your tax return. What are you hiding? The foreign countries are paying you a lot. Russia's paying you a lot. China's paying you a lot. And your hotels and all your businesses all around the country, all around the world. And China's building a new road to a new ga- a, a, a golf course you have overseas. So what's going on here? Why don't release your tax return or stop talking about corruption? I called my accountants, underwrote it. I'm going to release them as soon as we can. I want to do it. <laughs> Okay, I had to, had to stop it there because he actually uh, said the same thing he's been saying for five years now, that he's going to release his taxes just as soon as the audit is done. Both Desi and I, when we were watching it, burst out laughing there. Uh, but, the, but the exchange continued uh, and, and sort of ended this way. People were saying $750. I asked them a week ago, I said, what did I pay? They said, sir, you prepaid tens of millions of dollars. I prepaid my tax. Tens over the last number of years, tens of millions of dollars I prepaid. I don't make money from China. You do. I don't make money from Ukraine. You do. I don't make money from Russia. You made three and a half million dollars, Joe. Okay, Heather, um, I know it's a tall order, but can you explain (laughs) in a simple and, and, and as short as possible terms what Trump believes he is on about regarding Hunter Biden and emails and Joe's brother James Biden and how much there is actually there uh, or not at this point. Uh, good luck. Uh, oh, yeah, good luck to me. Um, well, again, it's like what Daniel Dale said. You know, this is mm-hmm. like Lucy and the Chocolate Factory, where, you know, the lies just come flying one after the other to the point where you're stuffing them in your mouth. You're trying desperately mm-hmm. just to, you know, to get through it. So, yeah, it's almost impossible to to sort this whole thing out. The 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 one thing that people need to keep in mind that the central issue that the right wing is accusing Joe Biden of in all of this, the central one, mm-hmm. is that he uh, somehow interfered in Ukrainian politics on behalf of his son, who is working for this company, Burisma, and that he got a, a prosecutor fired who was looking into Burisma. And he did this as a favor to his son who was making money in Ukraine. That is the issue around which Trump was impeached. Uh, and it is completely false. It is 100% completely false. Joe Biden did the opposite. He got the prosecutor fired. And the reason everybody wanted him fired were a lot of things. But one of the things was that he was not looking into this mm-hmm. this gas company that Joe Biden, that Hunter Biden was working for. So that's the central argument. Now, it's expanded in recent days and weeks into more things that, you know, Trump is taking money from, or that, that Biden. Biden is taking yeah. money from from Russia. That is a completely bizarre charge. It had to do with Hunter Biden, get Hunter, a company Hunter Biden was affiliated with, getting money from this Rus- the wife of a Russian politician some years back. Uh, Hunter Biden says he had nothing to do with it. He didn't know anything about it. This China thing, somehow or another, they've 
come up with this bizarre, ridiculously inflated number that Hunter Biden made half a billion dollars in China and then stepped up on Air Force Two when Biden was there. And I don't know what, I guess they're supposed to have cracked a bottle of champagne or something. But there's no evidence that any of this is true. All of this, of course, is a standard. I mean, this is what's really important for people to know about this. All of this is a standard right-wing smear. This is what they do. And if you look back, you will see things like Uranium One and the Clinton Foundation and going all the way back to Whitewater. Um, you know, this, this, the, the Nixonian dirty tricks. I mean, this is the way they do this. And my personal feeling about this is, is that this actually, Trump doesn't know this. But the right wing and the operatives that are working on this, which include people like Peter Schweitzer and Steve Bannon and poor old Rudy Giuliani, who's just, you know, <laughs> the most useful idiot of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, this is about, uh, you know, harassing Biden once he's elected. This isn't really about the election. Trump doesn't know that. So he's out there, you know, blabbing about all this stuff and keeping the rubes all excited. But this is about doing, uh, about, you know, pursuing this as long as they can. They'll keep it going in the right wing. I mean, this is how they make their money, guys. This is how Fox News and Breitbart and all of this is where the, this is where the, the money comes from. So they're keeping this thing going. And if somehow or another, and this is, you know, a long-term strategic plan, that if they get the House back or the Senate back, well, if they keep it, of course, mm-hmm. which is, you know, certainly possible, but assuming mm-hmm. they don't, if they get it back in two years and the big backlash they're going to try and build against Joe Biden and against the Democrats, then we get the, you know, we get the Benghazi, right? All well, over again. Well, yeah, this is, this is what they do. Is, and I mean, it seems so funny to me that people don't recognize it now the minute you see it. You're like, really? Okay, we're going to do that again. So that's my theory about what this is all about. And it seems that um, basically he's trying to recreate the Hillary's email magic yeah. from uh, 2016 uh, and put or put Biden on the defensive um, to avoid anybody actually looking at Donald Trump's family and their actual corruption, which is right out there in the open as they're all doing business with all of these countries all over the world. But um, see, this is, yeah, it, Richard. It, this is how Trump plays it. It's just not working anymore, I think, but the way he plays it is whatever he's doing he accuses the other person yeah. of doing. Oh, yeah. And then it becomes, well, I don't know which one of them to believe. That's what he's going for. His problem last night was that he wasn't even making his case coherently. You know, look, I mean, frankly, I wish Hunter Biden hadn't taken that board seat. But of course. There, was, there was no illegality there on, on Joe's part and... You know, this, but he didn't even tell the full story when he the the mythology, as it's told in Fox World, uh, when he said Joe uh, sold them sheets and pillows, which was to Ukraine, mm-hmm. which was my favorite moment mm-hmm. uh, in the whole thing. You know, this is a Fox thing too, which which Heather probably oh. knows more about. But it's you know they they should have been sent weapons, and Obama sent them sheets and pillows, which, to be fair, very good thread count, Egyptian cotton, but, (laughs) you know, know, and they did send, uh, you know, uh, aid of that kind, but they also, and we could, you know, we could have all side discussion about this, sent weapons as well. Yes, they sent $100 million in security assistance. That's a whole lot of sheets and blankets. Uh, but, right. but save your 
Trump coherency fire, Richard, for the question that I have for you uh, to decode, which may be even more difficult than the one that I dumped on Heather, but we're all counting on you here as uh, as a former health insurance executive and uh, as a big supporter, I believe, of Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All proposal. Uh, as a former writer for his campaign. This was a question about the pending confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett uh, onto the Republicans' already stolen U.S. Supreme Court, which will hear uh, a case about, um, well, we'll hear the challenge by Republicans and, and the Trump administration to kill the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare in its entirety just uh, seven days after the November 3rd election. So here's Trump's full response to that question. Richard, you may need to take some notes because I want you to decode it for us afterwards. Healthcare is at the center of her confirmation fight. Over 20 million Americans get their health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. It's headed to the Supreme Court and your administration, Mr. President, is advocating for the court to overturn it. If the Supreme Court does overturn that law, those 20 million Americans could lose their health insurance almost overnight. So what would you do? First of all, I've already done something that nobody thought was possible. Through the legislature, I terminated the individual mandate. That is the worst part of Obamacare, as we call it. But it no longer is Obamacare because without the individual mandate, it's much different. Pre-existing conditions will always stay. What I would like to do is a much better health care, much better, will always protect people with pre-existing. So I'd like to terminate Obamacare, come up with a brand new, beautiful health care. The Democrats will do it because there'll be tremendous pressure on them, and we might even have the House by that time. But come up with a better health care, always protecting people with pre-existing conditions. And one thing very important, we have 180 million people out there that have great private health care. Joe Biden is going to terminate all of those policies. These are people that love their health care. They have 180 million plans, 180 million people, families. Under what he wants to do, which will basically be socialized medicine, he won't even have a choice, they want to terminate 180 million plans. We have done an incredible job on health care, and we're going to do even better. And then his mic was cut off because it was the end of his two minutes. But Richard, as I said, I hope you were taking notes. Uh, I will give you two minutes before I cut off your mic. (laughs) I was going to say, how much time do you got? You you, you Uh, got no more than two. If you can do it in one, I'll thank you. Go ahead. uh, Let's start with something simple. He did not terminate the individual mandate, nor was it terminated through the legislature, unless my memory is playing tricks of me on me. uh, That was a court decision am i uh, no I actually that that one actually i think you are imagining i think that was done in the tax cut uh, the uh the 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 2017 tax cut well they also right zeroed it out neutered, the, it was yeah. zeroed out but right. it was not yeah okay but it's still this, there you're right it's zeroed out but it's still there you're absolutely right, right. okay the, in terms of pre-existing conditions this guy's been president for almost four years he uh keeps saying my plan is that i'm going to have a plan um, now, it's possible to, but, uh, to come up with a plan, which he hasn't seemed to do yet. It's possible to come up with a plan that says we're going to allow people to buy insurance who have pre-existing conditions, but, for example, that insurance might not cover pre-existing conditions. You can buy insurance for everything but your pre-existing mm-hmm. condition. Or you could create a plan 
that would allow people with pre-existing conditions to buy insurance, but it would be insanely expensive and Mm -hmm. beyond everybody's budget. So, uh, you know, the most concrete proposal uh, Trump and his people have made is to uh, really deregulate the insurance market Mm -hmm. so that people, uh, you know, there are no longer minimum standards for health insurance. Uh, There are no longer things that health insurance is required to cover. There are no longer rules about uh, which state jurisdiction is involved. So it'll become like credit cards where the most... The states that allow the most predatory behavior, insurers will, you know, quote-unquote, move there and and write their insurance from there. But the long and the short of it is he doesn't really have a plan, uh, which is not accidental. The reason why he hasn't, uh, you know, he's made proposals of one kind or another, floated them, the reason why he hasn't come up with a coherent insurance plan is because he knows the American people would hate it. So anything that he, you know, once he gets the courts to throw out uh, the Affordable Care Act, what they're going to put in its place, you know, for all its problems and so on, really does, is much, much better than the absence of it. Uh, What they would replace it with would be horrifying. And a jungle where people wouldn't even know what they're buying, it would get ripped off right and left. That's their plan once they get the new... Uh, supermajority Supreme Court to uh, strike down what we have as, as it exists. It's going to be brutal, um, Richard. I, and I must get to a break here. I'm running really late. But uh, B- Biden was asked the same question. Well, what happens if the Supreme Court knocks down the uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act in its entirety, as many people fear? And he says, well, I will just pass Obamacare again, but I will add a public option to it, um, which seems to be his plan anyway to improve uh, the Affordable Care Act, um, as opposed to Medicare for all. Uh, As a Bernie guy, Richard, uh, how do Bernie folks feel when they hear about that in the public option? Is it something that you fear may keep some Bernie supporters at this point from ultimately coming on board for uh, for Biden. You know, he's made a big push Biden has for Republicans, but not nearly the same kind of push for progressives. I'm somewhat concerned about that. Can you assuage my concerns? I think most Bernie people will hang with Joe no matter what he does. I'm sure millions winced when he said, I support private health insurance. Mm -hmm. That's not a phrase. You know, very many people, frankly, of any ideology want to hear. Uh, but I think it's not going to matter in the long run. I will say that Biden actually misstated uh, when he described the, pro- uh, the public option. He did not describe the public option as it's normally understood by people of any ideology who are policymakers. So I wondered about that, but I don't think too many people caught that. I think the private health insurance thing uh, kind of was a problem. I think the um, saying he'll just pass it again is a problem, too, since it's the same Supreme Court. Uh, Mm, But all that said, I think Bernie people included, most of them just really share with me the belief that uh, getting Trump out is the urgent business of the day. On that encouraging note, let me take a quick break here. Our special coverage will continue afterwards with uh, Richard R.J. Escow, Heather Digby-Parton, Desi Doyen, and myself, Brad Friedman, right here on the broadcast. Don't touch that dial.
Mr. President, your administration separated children from their parents at the border, at least 4,000 kids. You've since reversed your zero tolerance policy, but the United States can't locate the parents of more than 500 children. So how will these families ever be reunited? Our children are brought here by coyotes and lots of bad people. These 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. They got separated from their parents and it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. They are so well taken care of. You gotta keep them separated. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our special coverage of the mercifully final presidential uh, debate of 2020 continues with Richard R.J. Eskow, Heather Digby-Parton. Heather, the issue of child separation at the border had kind of seemed to fade uh, so far into the distant past for much of this campaign, I think thanks to COVID. Uh, but boy, it came back big with the report of 545 kids whose parents are now lost. Children who have no idea who their parents are and the, the country who has no idea who their parents are, where they are. It felt like it had a huge impact in the Thursday debate. At least it did for me. It all sort of came rushing back. Um, was that a, a, as as good a moment, I guess, for for Biden and a bad a moment for Trump as it seemed? Or is it or is it just too late for all of this to make any difference at this point? Well, I don't know if it'll make any difference, but it certainly was a bad moment for Trump. I mean, it's disgusting. And this story of the 545 kids, I mean, that's what we know of, right? I mean, that's what yeah. we, I mean, who knows what, what the, the real truth is. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that story came out, and it was preceded by another one, which was um, evidence that we hadn't seen before, that the very top echelon of the Trump administration, despite the fact that they were denying it, uh, were, did this program as mm-hmm. as an absolute deterrence uh and and basically had made no bones about it they pushed it from the very top of the of the administration down in and there were was a lot of resistance among people at the border including the um the u.s attorneys that were working down in the border areas uh so we had been this thing has been bubbling up again in the last just in the last couple of months and uh, it is what i mean there have been so many horrific horrific moments during the Trump administration. I, I just I, I don't think we realize the trauma that this country mm-hmm. has actually been through over the last four years. But that one is one of the worst ones. And I remember seeing a report from England uh, when it was happening where people, they were talking to people on the street in, in London, and, and a woman started crying, a, a British mm-hmm. woman, just going, I just I can't believe I'm seeing this in in the 21st century i can't believe that and i just i remember my heart just kind of stopping when i saw that and thinking god this is what america is uh, you know around the world this is what we've become it's a horrible thing and trump's attitude toward it is as cold and despicable and it, you know this this paternalistic oh don't worry they're being very well taken care of yeah. they're in clean you know clean facilities and then he turns it around and does this 
nasty, you know, who built the cages, Joe? Who built the cages? And Kellyanne Conway starts tweeting it, and Hugh Hewitt starts tweeting it, and all these right-wingers, like, he really got in a good dig on Joe, when the reality is that we all saw what happened there. And it had, you know, very little to do with who built the cages and everything to do with this despicable family separation policy that they did. There were breastfeeding infants who were taken away from their mothers in that in that um in that thing and it was it you know this was one of this is one of those those low points it's like mm-hmm. you know i mean we're talking about you know like something of the of the equivalence of japanese internment i mean that's what that's the kind of thing that we're talking about so so cruel and uh i don't think you know maybe it won't make any difference i don't think it will i think all of this is probably pretty baked in but it sure was a reminder for me, of just how awful this has been, and it's not a joke, and yeah. it's not just Trump and his makeup and the rest of it. You know, this is really, really ugly. Yeah, and it it sort of just it it kind of took my breath away, and that's why I wanted to bring yeah. it up here because I, I it was something that you know I had sort of lost track of. I I mean I I didn't lose track. I know it was there, but it it seemed to um you know, I don't know. It just brought back a lot when I saw that uh, conversation about it last night and uh, and if I, you know, yeah. if I can add, yeah, please. you know, what, what Trump was trying to do was point out and you know, a lot of people on the left have pointed this out. The Obama administration had some, you know, pretty rough uh, harsh immigration policies and articulated them in a harsh ways that we have to be tough mm-hmm. because otherwise parents will send their kids and so on. There's a quote when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State to that effect and all of this. But the difference, and I think what this moment illustrated, is the, for these people, for Trump and his people, the cruelty is the point. Yeah. And the cruelty is deliberate. It's not a side product of other decisions, they exult in it, their movement exults in it, they've created a paramilitary police force in, in the Customs and Border Patrol mm-hmm. that uh, you know, has incredible license and is using it uh, against innocent people all the time. And these really are, as somebody who's like a, uh, you put cautions around the tendency to describe Trump and his people as fascistic. These are really hallmarks of fascism. The cruelty, the exulting and the crushing of people that have less power than you. And I think we got a glimpse in that last night with that uh, part of the conversation. Yeah, and I do want to say as as far as uh, who built the cages, there was a wave of uh, parents, things had gotten so bad in Central America, there was a wave of parents who sent their children here uh, by unaccompanied. themselves, yeah. unaccompanied, right. and right. they had to put them somewhere, these children, until they could find homes for them, right. uh, places to keep them. So, uh, yeah, that's where I guess some of these cages came from. Yeah, and and just let's make it clear that they didn't that the Trump administration did not have to continue any of those Obama policies. Obama did not make them do family separation. They did that themselves. Let's take a quick break, and we'll uh, come back with our final segment here with uh, some final thoughts. <laughs> Man, this hour has flown by. So much more I wanted to get to. Well, we'll keep it for the subscribers only second hour. 
there That's is okay. there is no, no. subscribers on Isaiah. Hi, right. okay. Well, well uh, take, nobody will lend money. There you go. Now we can really talk. There you go. Uh-huh. Quick, uh, quick break, and we're back though uh, with our final segment with Richard Escow and Heather Digby Parton, Desi Doyen, and myself, Brad Friedman, on our special coverage right here on the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. What will you say in your address to, America, to Americans who did not vote for you? I'm an American president. I represent all of you, whether you voted for me or against me. And I'm going to make sure that you're represented. I'm going to give you hope. We're going to move. We're going to choose science over fiction. We're going to choose hope over fear. We're going to choose to move forward because we have enormous opportunities to make things better. What is on the ballot here is the character of this country. We have to make a country totally successful as it was prior to the plague coming in from China. Success is going to bring us together. We are on the road to success, but I'm cutting taxes and he wants to raise everybody's taxes and he wants to put new regulations on everything. He will kill it. Too much, too little, too late to lie again with you. Welcome back to the Bradcast special coverage of the final presidential debate of 2020. Thank the good Lord above uh, with uh, Desi Doyen, Richard Escow, and Heather Digby Parton. Desi, uh, we mentioned a little earlier, uh, but it's like climate change is now becoming a staple c- conversation yeah. at uh, presidential debates. I don't know what you're going to do with yourself. But Biden said that he's never been very quickly. I want to hit this. Um, Biden said he's never been opposed to fracking, which is not completely true. But his opposition has mostly been to new leases on federal lands. Uh, but then he was asked about whether he would do away with oil production by uh, by Donald Trump. Would you close down it's the oil? By the way, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I would that's transition. a big statement. That's it is a big statement. The oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh. It has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President? to destroy... The oil industry. Will you remember that Texas? Will you remember that Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? We have to move toward a net zero emissions. The first place to do that by the year 2035 is in energy production by 2050 totally. Uh, I want to try to go around the table here on this and then one last question. So keep your thoughts uh, tight, if you don't mind, Desi. I'm uh, I'm delighted to hear that. But I suspect yes. that the Trumpers and the Republicans think that that was actually a gaffe. They do. On Biden's part, was it? Well, I don't think they think it's a gaffe. I think they think it's a huge mistake. And I will say that it is a very big deal because Biden, I think, is the first national leader to say out loud that, yes, we will have to phase out fossil fuels. So it it probably does hurt him in fossil fuel states like like Oklahoma and Texas and Texas is, you know, tied right now, I think, for Biden. Mm -hmm. So um, it is a truth that the American people need to understand. And um, I think 
but Biden probably missed the opportunity to reassure fossil fuel industry workers that his plan actually does include a just transition for them, uh, retraining for everybody that uh, helps them understand that, yeah, this is a huge jobs creator to do what he is suggesting. And he talked about millions of jobs to cap oil wells and so forth. Um, Which he didn't get to in this debate, but he has previously. So I don't know if people heard it, but at least for the first time, the American people heard a substantive discussion about climate change. Richard, uh, your thoughts? How did that land? Will it have any effect as uh, over the next 10 days or so? Well, since I'm not sure he was counting on Oklahoma's electoral votes. Right. So, I, I, you know, Texas, yeah, but whatever. But Texas, but Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, a lot well, of... Yeah, frank, but my yeah. takeaway on this is that um, whatever he might lose marginally over this is going to be more than made up in uh, increased uh, support from people who might be wavering about whether to come and vote at all mm-hmm. from the Democratic base, that young people especially are going to hear that and say, well, you know, it probably is worth the effort to, ste- to step outside and vote for this guy. So my hope is that turnout will offset whoever he loses uh, from this statement, and I was thrilled to hear it. Yeah, it was uh, good to hear. I don't think that, I, I think that was sort of the first new thing that has come up uh, throughout this entire season in that regard. Uh, Heather, your thoughts? Well, I, I'm with Richard. I was thrilled to hear it, and I thought that it was a very interesting um, topic for Biden to choose to sort of go progressive on, it, you know, and just mm-hmm. sort of make an, an, a, you know, an overt um, sort of appeal to, mm-hmm. the, to the progressive base. Uh, that says something to me about commitment to that particular issue. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that, uh, I mean, obviously it's essential. And it was good to hear him do that and to be able, you know, he's ahead and he's been playing it pretty safe. And I think that if you're going to pick one thing <laughs> that you're going to go out there and take a risk on uh, when you've got a 10-point lead, it should be this one. Uh, it yeah. is the existential issue of our time. It's not going to cost him more than he stands to gain? I don't think so, and I actually don't think it's going to cost him. People who work in the in the uh, you know fossil fuel industry are probably not voting for Democrats anyway. And I think in Pennsylvania they've done a lot of polling, which is the one state where this could have an issue in the presidential. Uh, they've done a lot of polling that that they have a majority of people who are actually anti-fracking in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I think this put this. It's as Richard said, it juices the progressive base. Maybe some young people will come out and go, hey, maybe this guy's for real. And, uh, you know, I, I think the people who were voting on the fracking issue, they never believed that Biden was, you know, for fracking in the first place. So I think I think it's a wash at worst, and it's actually did something good for him at best. I got Besides which, it's important, so I'm glad he did it anyway. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. And there's an idea. Just do something because <laughs> it's the right thing to do. What? Uh, what is that? I, I got about 30 seconds left for each of you to answer my exit question here. Uh, let me start with you, Heather. Your message to folks who are looking at the polls, they're seeing uh, Joe Biden's fairly healthy leads in the bulk of the swing states uh, who think uh, Biden's got this thing at this point. What do you say to those voters? You have to go and vote because you have to go beyond the margin of litigation. They've got lawyers all over the place. A close election is an election that is in danger. Everybody has to vote. Don't t- I don't care if you you think they're 50- in California, he's 30 points behind. Vote anyway. 
because you have to just assume that there's going to be litigation on this. They've got lawyers fanned out all over the country. So don't take, don't be complacent. We don't know what, this is a weird election. We don't know what's going to happen. So just do it. Yes. I would agree with that definitely. The, the margin of victory must be greater than the margin of theft, suppression, and litigation. Exactly. All of those. But I would also add that um, Biden at least presented an agenda for the next four years. Trump did not accept to say he's going to do more of the same and maybe some more criming. <laughs> uh, Richard, uh, your thoughts to those voters who are, eh, he's doing fine, He'd, uh, I'm not needed here. The entire country experienced a trauma in 2016 and has been repeatedly traumatized ever since. Uh, make that trauma work for you this time. Let's, uh-huh. Let us do that. There's always that final scene in the horror m- movie, the Carrie moment when the hand reaches up out of the grave. Let's make sure the hand doesn't reach out of the grave. <laughs> Let's use that trauma to really protect the country and make sure that Trump loses big. Appropriate for Halloween. There you go. Definitely. Now I'm terrified. Uh, That was Richard R.J. Escow. You can and should follow his weekly program. This is the zero hour dot com is where you will find it. You can also find him on the Twitters at R.J. Escow. Heather Digby Parton can be found on her longtime blog, Digby's Hullabaloo, which is digbysblog.net, also at salon.com, and yes, on the Twitters at Digby56. Hey, really appreciate uh, all you guys have done with us uh, over this past year. I'm sure there will be no reason to call you between here and the end of the year. Oh boy. <laughs> Everything will work out just yeah. fine. Uh, thanks, guys. Really appreciate your time today and all year long. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay, we got to get out. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to have nightmares about that hand coming (laughs) Coming out out of the grave. grave, I know. Uh, To snatch it all back. Yes. Anyway, thank you very much. We got to get out. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. It is always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's show or any of them that we have ever done since the beginning of time, you can download them for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to get the um, access to our special subscribers only hour that we don't have. (laughs) Yes, we don't have. So just thanks you for uh, for your support. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Go vote. (laughs) 